Yeah. Well, that's a good point because I had. We need to find someone that'll pay for microphones for all of us properly. Yeah, need some sponsorship now. Preferably someone who maybe owns a pharmacy or two who's probably got heaps of money. I don't have any money. That's an idea. Like we could have a you know good sponsorship, good advertising. Yeah. Yeah. It could have your name or your pharmacy name plastered. This is my one I use for my videos. Could have your name plastered right across there. Brimrouse. Yeah. Might become a target. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, Old uh, How you both been? No, good Pedro. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How's the flying purchase? Yeah, bloody good, mate. Yep, yep. been pretty cruisy the last uh well, most of this trip to be fair. Yeah. Which has been quite nice. And it's a little bit cooler. We only had a high of maybe 25 today. Ooh. So she's cooling Ooh. down. Nice. Mm. Nice. And no is it um, just, just cruisy because it's getting near end of the season? Or is it well, you on top of stuff? Yeah, I think so. Getting towards the end, we've been, been defoliating cotton. Like the same cotton that I was spraying, I don't know how many episodes ago that I was talking about. It's gone. They were like shrubs a few months ago. Now they're all like, they look like trees covered in snow, basically. Yeah, With right. all of the um, cotton. Yeah. <laughs> Looks cool, though. What does the defoliating cool. do? Uh, depending on which stage you do it, the first one, I think it, it regulates all of the growth from... I don't know, whatever it normally concentrates its energy all into the bulb or the flower, which is the cotton ball or bud. And then the next one, so you spray it a few times, the next spray, I think it, it opens the bulb to, to unravel the cotton ball or whatever the hell you call it. And then you do another spray, which gets rid of all the leaves. And that's, that's about where we're up to now with most of them. And they're harvesting now too. So all the roads look like it's been snowing. Yeah, cool. It's just cotton everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. How Quite much cool. do you get off each plant, you know, like, and wait, why? Oh, that's a good question. In a, in a row, how long would a row be on the average? Say like a 300-meter long row. From a harvest, you'll get one bale, a round bale, but it's not a it's not a round bale like a hay bale that we think of. It's probably five or six times bigger. And I don't know yeah. how many ton that is, but like That's a, a lot of yeah, a, a truck here, a truck and trailer, which are already bigger than the ones back home, would have probably only five or six bales on the trailer, but they're massive. And that's only 300 metres. Yeah, something like that. At a guess, three every 300-odd metres, they'll get a bale. Someone someone else will be able to correct me yeah. on that because I'm only guessing. But I'm watching them as I fly over, them harvesting it. I think they just... With like the a jets normal... on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did it, it, when you were in China, didn't they say just fucking blow over everyone? Like... Oh yeah, just yeah. Hit there everything. Was, 
that was the most ridiculous thing ever. Spraying there, and and the it was rice paddocks that I was spraying on this farm. Yeah. So first of all, it was it was one farm that I only sprayed one farm for the whole two months I was there. Yeah, and it was ninety three thousand hectares the farm. We only sprayed two thirds of it. So there's two of us, me and another guy, and that yeah. we only sprayed two thirds of that over that whole time, and. The first job I did was a big long paddock and in the middle of it were dotted little sheds which all the farmers would move into and live in these sheds through the the harvesting season or growing season, whatever you call it. And that way they didn't have to commute from town. And as I was coming down on my third or fourth third or fourth pass, the house was there and I'd like you always do shut off, pull up and go over the house and then carry on because, well, it's a waste of spray going on a house for one and there's probably someone living in there. And then a couple of passes later, look back and there's a guy there with his phone out and that's what's happening in all of these houses. But then I go back and land and the, um, the boss guy there wants to speak to me and said, the farmer's rung up and he's not happy because I didn't spray him with the medicine. <laughs> he wasn't, so he to... wasn't videoing you to narc on you. He was videoing you to oh, still narc on you, but, but still not narc. spraying him. Yeah. <laughs> so but I had to go back and spray him. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Who's standing outside, like, <laughs> basking in it. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, Bloody crazy. So I don't do that here in Australia, though. They they're um, they're nowhere near. <laughs> they're nowhere nearby. What was the medicine that you were spraying? I think the the majority of it was fungicide. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't get he it. Went, but they'd, he they'd he go hang to worry out about there. athletes. What? Yeah, 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 that's right. In all three of them. Yeah. How does that work there? So. So all these different farmers from town, they're all just employed by by the farmer or is that by the state? That's a good question. Don't really know is the short answer because we get drip-fed information and half the time our translators can't speak English. But I think it, everything's owned by the government, but you can buy it, but it must be like a long-term lease or something i don't really know it's a, it's a funny one but they the farmers own that tiny little bit of land but it's it's a i'll start again so i was on a ninety-three thousand hectare farm and there's one manager for that farm yeah and that farm was broken up into 11 sections or smaller farms yeah and each of those 11 farms had a manager, another manager. And each of those 11 farms was broken up into five or six smaller farms. And each of those five or six smaller farms had their own manager. And then each of those smaller farms would be owned by, owned and run and managed by. 20 or 30 families or something. So they might own one paddock or 
10, 10 acres or something like that. And that's mm-hmm. what even the our airport manager guy, who, well, it's a farm strip, but he was called the airport manager. Even he had some paddocks that we sprayed. But it was all part of like a big block that we'd do. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's sort of funny because that's what I always thought uh, when we were top dressing. I thought, fuck, wouldn't it just be easier if all the cockies just got together? Yeah. And, you know, like, because that, that, is that what they used to do with the DC3s or now? They just, yeah. just blow a bloody blow a line across everyone's bum and everyone just, just chipped in their bloody. What was that, Pete? Makes sense. Yeah, just have a big square block, eh? And yeah. And just have like five or six farms on it. Yeah. Way yeah. easier top dressing. Oh, dream. Be cheaper too. <laughs> Hell of yeah. a lot cheaper. Oh, yeah. Nice straight runs. Yeah. yeah. Didn't have to worry about getting on the neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that, eh? They'd be out with the tarp on your block and the our neighbours block as well. He's getting more than me. He's fucking getting more than me. <laughs> That's what they do in China. We we use GPS, but they'd sometimes have those flagger guys yeah. that would wave you down, and especially for some of the local pilots, they would refuse the GPS because the flag is more accurate. But you'd get the flaggers when they got up to their own farm, instead of going over 15 or 20 metres, they'd go over like 10 <laughs> And you'd pull out and you'd line back up and, and all of a sudden the lines are really wonky from farmers <laughs> trying to get a double dose. <laughs> it probably had the opposite effect. It's probably killing their crops, you yeah. know, like too, yeah. too much. Yeah. Too much, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you try and, try and tell them that. <laughs> uh, if it's yeah. described to them as medicine, then I, that, yeah, it's probably not yeah. really. Yeah. And it really is. That's what they call it, medicine. Oh, yeah. yeah. How you been, Pedro? How's Good. how's life in the in the famous lane? Yeah, it's uh, interesting. A lot of lot of randos just messaging you now, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, but and yeah. getting pulled up on the street. But yeah, pulled up on oh, the yeah. street. Yeah. Of, what um, are they saying? Oh, most, of, most of ones are like, "Ah, oh, to say thank you," sort of thing. You know. That's basically it. You're my the, hero. The the one, yeah, the ones who are pulling me up on the street. Everyone says I'm quite brave, but it doesn't seem to be a brave thing to do. It's just a... I think it is. Isn't it? Well, yeah. it's no, I don't know. No different, no different to doing the podcast. Oh, no, nah, that's a bit different. No, nah, I don't yeah, think... It's, it's a different type worse. of bravery. Yeah. yeah. Podcast yeah. is hard, yeah. especially when you've got hoodie to deal with. <laughs> I knew that was going... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it's all going good. Heaps of positive feedback. Been asked to talk at a few places. So, oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. what's his name there? But, oh, Butterbean. You could be the next Butterbean and nah. go around and give inspirational speeches everywhere. The boxer? Yeah. Yeah. He came what? and did a talk here in Gizda. He was actually really good. He's actually a bloody good speaker, actually, old buddy. Yeah, shit. Yeah. yeah, I was. I went and listened to it. It was like a start of the year talk one of the forestry companies put on. I yeah. was like, I'll go because he's free breakfast. But <laughs> no, he was really good. Like I was like, shit. He's a, he had a good story, good messaging. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. He's good. He does yeah. a but lot. No, I don't, like... don't think I'm at his level. Oh, he does a lot too. Yeah, yeah, he does. Mm. He's pretty. He's active in the community. Pretty active. Yeah, 
Yeah. You wonder, so how does he get paid doing stuff like the talks and stuff, I suppose? Yeah, so, like, I know, um, like, the Here For You group here in Gizzy, we've tried to get talkers and, like, like you know, like Mike Kings and all of those guys. Yeah. They charge tens of thousands of dollars for talking to come talk, you know? Yeah. Like, we'll pay to get them to come to Gizzy, you have to pay them 40000 for a talk sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, a lot oh, of money in it. Yeah. There's a lot of money in motivating talking. Well, there you go, yeah. Pedro. Yeah, yeah. 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 Don't think so I'm you... at that level yet. <laughs> <laughs> you can be the sponsor for our new microphone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go one speech, you'll be able to all sit around like Joe Rogan. <clears throat> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that'll be the way. I uh, just a side note. I did actually have some people keep hounding me about getting microphones, proper ones, and having proper interviews with old timers. Yeah. getting their stories down, which is a good idea. Yeah, it's a not bad idea. When we first started talking about doing this, it was what we were talking about doing. It's just, um. I suppose just getting getting going first and getting used to doing this, and then and that's definitely something that we're the logistics the logistics would be hard too. Getting the you you'd, one of us would have to almost go to the old you know to the dude's house. With well, the they're not in fucking something. old folks' yeah. homes yet, Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> we know them, and some of them are hard to hear. You know, <laughs> tapping buttons. Yeah, it wouldn't be an internet jobby. It no. might be a bit tricky. Yeah. No, yeah. but yeah, that would be something. I saw something on the, was it Facebook? It looked like someone was doing something like that, talking to an old fella. Yeah, there's um, another Kiwi chap going around interviewing people. Oh, good on him. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's really good. He did... Um, Willie Sage, was it? Willie Sage, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's done another one. Just, I think it's just come out, but I haven't seen oh, yeah. it. Yeah. What's that have for? Wa- we better have you give him the plug. I watched the first one, yeah, when it came out a couple of weeks ago. It was really good. Yeah, cool. Good, good stuff. stories, good microphone. You could hear them properly. <laughs> to be fair, you're the only one cutting out so far today. Oh, am I? I'm oh, recording he's separately. Eliza, right on time. Hey, it, that's perfect timing. Look at that. <laughs> She's a good lass. She's a little bit early, though. I hadn't quite finished my bloody red wine. Why are you doing them mixing? In together. What was it, Pedro? What are you doing mixing your alcohols, red wine and beer? Oh, sometimes you just got to chop and change a wee bit. <laughs> beer before wine, then you'll be fine. Yeah. yeah, but I don't think anyone's ever fine after they go from wine back to beer. You know, like, it doesn't roll. Do it all the wine, time. Wine to beer, and you're a... Queer. Queer? <laughs> you can't say that these days. <laughs> Cancel. Are, 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 you being, are you saying it in a nice way, like it's a good thing? Yeah. 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 No, you said if you go wine to beer... <laughs> And you'll be queer. It's saying in That's a what we're saying. I, I thought Burgess was saying it's in a good way, you know, like being queer is good. Nothing wrong what's, with it. What's wrong with that, Hoodie? Yeah. Being Come ca- on, Hoodie. Hey? <laughs> it's not my cup of tea. 
Uh, Mate, anyone can do what they want as long as they're not fucking making traffic stop to do a fucking parade down the main street. <laughs> never say never. Yeah, I'll remember this. You'll be out there protesting the government for drug prices or something soon. I'll be like, hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're not closing that street down. <sighs> no. Right. Well, let's crack on. I did get um, a heap of messages myself just just from because of your show, Pedro, which was did quite you? cool. So I got a, yeah. what, I don't know what that's called, like a, backhanded bit of fame off it too, everyone messaging yeah, me. That's, that, that's cashing in on Pedro's fame, that's what you're yeah. doing. Someone else told me that they got a whole heap of messages and there's like some rando who just, I can't remember who it was. I was like, jeepers, yeah. Oh, yeah. Archery, Archery got a whole heap. Who's oh. that? Bill yeah. Archery? Bill yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's obviously um, had an effect on a lot of people, and it's and it should too. It's a pretty unspoken topic. To, yeah, yeah. Taboo. What's the word? It, it sort of is stigma. taboo, but it's just uh, yeah, stigma or shock. You know, everyone shies away from it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good, good one to talk about. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I, I think maybe I'm a fortunate one that I've. Don't think I've had any issues with it to date, but it, I find it fascinating, especially the mental health side of everything yeah. and the prevention part of it. But yeah, I I, I found um like like you said um fascinating having gone through it, learning about it because like fuck, I never saw this coming. I was like, mental health is never a thing I'm going to have to worry about, and then bang. Yeah, even after the accident, I didn't think that was going to be a thing. And like, I was talking to someone the other day, and he he said the same thing. Like he's just recently gone through something, but he's like, I like I see all these other people talking about. It, and it's like, nah, never happening to me. And it and it happened to him, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I I sort of liken it now to a, an engine failure, isn't it? It's like you don't think it's going to happen to you, but it might, but it might not. Mm-hmm. It just you know, yeah, yeah. Plan, um, plan, prepare. Yeah, that's the one. Be ready for it. Yeah, and and, and that's why I sort of tell the story is so people can be ready for it because, like, you know, it's something I didn't see coming. It's um, and I had no idea what to do um, when it happened. It was real yeah. um, because I talked to you a lot throughout all that, Pete. And like I said to you, like, I never knew how bad that was. Like, and yeah. Never knew. Like we would, we had beers all the time, uh, and, and uh, we'd have a bloody have a beer and and have a little cry sometimes about old George oh, or uh, uh, or whatever. And and then I just thought, fucking pat each other on the back, and then you just carry on. But yeah, I just, I after yeah. all that, I never really knew what was going on with me. So I find that really interesting to see. I guess um, how easy it is to um, to to miss it from from a mate's point of view, and that's why my sort of question would be: um, What could I have done that you would have gone? You know, I'm actually in the fucking shit here. 
I don't think it would have been anything. Yeah. Like, um, like you were one of the ones who helped me more than anything. Like, you just took phone me up and would, you know, how we used to talk all the time. Mm. Like, you wouldn't know it, but you'd phone me up and you'd be like, you're all right, buddy? And I'm like, yeah, fuck. You know, and we'd talk about whatever it may be and that'd pull me out of the hole. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have known it, but I would have been really fucking, well, I probably wouldn't have spoken to him for the day, you know? Probably, yeah. probably would have been just fucking really down on my chips and just, yeah, answer your call and pulled me up and I'd be out, you know? Very yeah. hard, very hard on here because, you know, she she would see that and like you a phone call to you, I'd be sweet ass, but to her and the kids, I wouldn't be sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. But as um, I think you were just further enough away and you could ask, you didn't know what was going on, so you weren't addressing it. But yeah. we were talking about stuff that helped anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah. But um, like like you is like things like your thirtieth was it your thirtieth that was at the fishing club? Oh yeah. Yeah, I didn't go to that for just ends like panic attack. Oh, like, I, I, I wouldn't wanted, have even I, known if you were there or not. No, no, you, I mean, you were pretty, you were pretty blottoed. I didn't miss out on much, but like I wanted, I wanted to go. But just the idea, this is after I lost the medical. Yeah. But just the idea of going here and seeing like Hoax and Andy and all the other egg pilots was enough to trigger a panic attack, like a like a anxiety sort of fear that just hey. crippling. So, yeah, and that shows were, yeah. how, how how unaware I was of of, of all that. Like, I feel yeah. I feel very bad that I, no, I, I like, wasn't aware, but it's really hard to tell. Yeah, it is. It's um we we, but it's a bit of a, a survival thing, isn't it? You don't want to show any weaknesses as humans, you know. So yeah. we sort of tried our best to hide it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that probably was the answer then, hoodie. Just just ringing and talking. But, yeah. But me and Pete did that all the time anyway, so I, I, I'm just trying to think. Like, if you if you suspected that someone might be, uh, yeah, that's good to know. If you suspected to be fair, someone, Hoodie, you, eh? were in, you were in Europe when I had my big breakdown, so maybe that's what caused today. Eh? You've been away. Oh, could have been, eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Selfish. Selfish, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but, Is it? Yeah. Oh, is that, was that a year to date? Was that when you were doing the? Yeah, so you're you're in Europe when I had the breakdown, and that was when you went out and did the same exact same job a year. Yeah, later. I, no, it wasn't. It was like eighteen months after. But oh, like, I, yeah, it's really interesting. I, again, I find all this pretty interesting. It's like doing a uh, a crash investigation looking back. Like hindsight's a great thing. Yeah. Like it wasn't something something I saw coming, but looking back, you're like, well, fuck, no wonder, you know? Like, because, um, like, for me, I, I had that accident, and that was pretty brutal, um, and been going back to work and just carrying on. Whereas if I had known now what I knew, no, had I known now what I knew then, well, fuck, I'm just like, then what you, knew <laughs> you know now. what I'm trying to say? <laughs> I would have given myself time to just just grieve the loss of George and Robbie, you know. Yeah. But went back to work, and that's fine. Went back to work, um, and uh, you weren't flying, so and George wasn't flying, obviously, and so our workload went up quite a bit. Mm. Um, and we didn't have any replacement pilots to start with, mm. um, and tr- and Trusty resigned. Um, must have been in probably four months after the accident. It was around about March, May, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
and so we went from having five pilots to having two pilots. Yeah. Uh, and we had, I think at that point, Glenn might have been coming over and doing month on, month off. Yeah. And a few other phone-ins, maybe you, Jimbo. But we, we just weren't getting through the work. And so that work pressure started building up quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, that, that work pressure, I think, uh, is one of those silent, silent things that mm. just slowly creeps up. And then I had like I had a bird strike that caused the elevator to stall. I had the compressor uh, engine compressor stall on takeoff. Had the control lock jam on takeoff. The power lead for jam on the go around. And this is all after that accident. Yeah. And this is all just building up on me, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then workload just kept getting higher and higher and higher. And um, I, yeah. I remember you talking about that because you had the phone for Wirral, didn't you? So you had every cocky. Yeah, ringing you as well. Yeah, so, well, so like you're organising your work to... as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh. normally in what normally in Wire, I do around about eleven hundred to twelve hundred productive hours a year, and normally George or Sam, you hoodie would come down and do about a hundred hours for me on top of that. And so now I didn't have any of that, um, and so my workload was getting up higher and higher. And like, yeah, the cocky stuff. You know, when you're four months, five months behind, they start phoning you all the time, sort of thing. So mm-hmm. the phone would start at five thirty, and it wouldn't stop until nine o'clock, nine thirty at night, sort of thing. And like, I'd divert the phone to a number, number, and then they just text me. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Oh. So it, it was all that, all that boiling away. You know, so it wasn't yeah. just, the, it wasn't just the accident. Like you could have taken the accident out, or so. The accident could have happened, and the breakdown didn't need to happen. The mm. breakdown was preventable up, you know, post yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. should, should yeah. Uh, for the benefit of those that haven't been able to watch the show, give them a bit of a a rundown of, of what we're talking about here? Yeah. Do you want to do it? Yeah, I can if you want. I I actually um, I plugged your article you wrote in the Vector thingy and I put it into the chat AI thing and asked it to write a, a I synopsis. I knew they were AI questions. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, these questions are way too good to be asked by people. <laughs> Some of them were mine that they moulded to sound better. Yeah. <laughs> but they wrote a, uh, or it, what is it, whatever it is, wrote a, an overview of basically the whole event. I can read it out if you want. Yeah, let's see what AI reckons. Okay. It says, Pete Blake, a former agricultural pilot and civil aviation authority inspector, endured a tragic event that led to him struggle, led to him to struggle with mental health issues. On December 12, 2016, he witnessed the crash of a friend's aircraft, which resulted in the death of his friend and another colleague. This traumatic event profoundly impacted Pete, causing guilt, anxiety, sleep disturbances, and hallucinations. Despite initially suppressing his feelings and continuing to work, Pete's mental state worsened, culminating in a breakdown in August 2018. This pivotal moment led to him to seek help and acknowledge the severity of his mental health struggles. Pete sought treatment and... In a challenging process, learn to manage his post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and anxiety. He focused on self-care.
care, embraced activities such as running and biking to aid his recovery. Over time, Pete was able to face his, face his fear of flying and decide to get his medical back, which he achieved in September 2019. He also returned to flying, first recreationally and then commercially. After a stint as an aerial surveyor in Hawaii, Pete transitioned to working as a CAA inspector. Pete's experiences have shaped him into an advocate for men's mental health. He emphasises the importance of open dialogue about mental health issues, especially in traditionally male-dominated sectors such as aviation. He encourages others who may be dealing with stress, anxiety or depression to seek help and to remember that it's okay to not always be okay. Pete is part of a men's group in Gisborne that focuses on mental health and is actively involved in raising awareness about these issues within the aviation community. He hopes that his story can help reduce the stigma associated with mental health issues and encourage those struggling to seek the help they need. Fuck me, it's better than uh, I've heard it explained. But yeah. it's, it's probably straight out of an article, eh? I just abbreviated that um, better article. Is that right? Yeah, well, I just I, I copy-pasted the article in and asked, I was actually going to ask to give me questions to ask you, but I forgot to ask that, and it just gave me that straight away. Yeah, right. <laughs> Pretty, Pretty clever, the AI. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. it sounds on the money from from what I've seen and read and, and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it is on the money. Yeah. 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 So that's what we're talking about. Mm. Yeah. It was a... Uh, a big thing in a brilliant show. I I enjoyed yeah. it. Heavy, definitely heavy at times. Yeah. Heavy subject. It, it's quite raw, isn't it? And mm. Sort of. Um, but like doing that, sh- like I guess the backstory to how I got onto that show was when I I'm no longer working at the CAA for anyone who's wondering. <laughs> I mean, I was. Um, I I volunteered to do like a talk for um, mental health week at the CAA, just an internal one um, for staff, and like part of it was just to, yeah, to promote mental health speak, but then there was a little alter- little, little alternative motive was uh, just to bring it up, what it's like for a pilot to be in the civil aviation industry with mental health because um, going through and getting my medical, like losing my medical and getting it back was quite a quite a thing, so I wanted them to have an understanding but in doing it it went from being only a half an hour talk to well over an hour talk with everyone started opening up and and telling me their stories, you know, like it was a, it became quite an open conversation. Um, it was really good forward steps and then out of that came the Fetter article um, and then someone at TVNZ saw the Fetter article and gave me a call about a year ago and asked if I'd share the story. It was sort of one of those fuck it, just do it moments. Yeah. <laughs> Good Terrible that, language. Yeah. It should have been R sixteen. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> everyone's pulled up. Everyone has pulled up on me on my swearing. Ah, dicks. Yeah, <laughs> fuck. Lenore, we showed the kids because um, we knew other people would be seeing it, so we wanted the kids to. They've been asking to see it, and so Lenore went mad at me for swearing so much on it. I was like, fuck. Sorry. But, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jesus. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, funny. No, mate. Oh, like, it hit, it, just before you go into the, some questions and stuff, but huge, like, impact. Like, just, we got, what do we got? 30 girls at work and even the all the young people, so many of them watched it. And, um, yeah, just everyone, it all had the same effect on everyone. It was mm. so well done. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Chrissy, uh, mate, who um, she runs here for you, she said that next morning she had six guys phone up saying, I'm coming in to see you. Like, they'd watch my show and, like, um, just thought, fuck it, God, I'm going to go get help now. Yeah. Um, fuck, that yeah. must feel good, Pete. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. It's good. Like, And, like, one of the reasons why I shared the story at that very, very beginning was I was lucky enough to hear someone else share their story and that sort of gave me hope because, like, one of the things is when you do, if you ever do go through this shit, everyone tells you, don't worry, you'll get out of it. Things will be fine. But when you're in deep in a hole and mm. can't get out of it, that's the last thing that you – like, you get sick of people telling you that because you're like, fuck, mm. you don't know what it's like. I can't get out of this. I'm, I'm stuck down here. Mm. But then you hear someone else tell their whole story from start to finish, you're like, oh, actually, I can relate to that. Yeah. Um, you know, if they can, I can. Sort of yeah. Thing. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, or us, yeah, it, it's it's so hard to relate to when you haven't been through it. That's what yes. I I say to Eliza, like talking about what we were going to talk about tonight. We had a little debrief and said, "Oh, well, this is what we're going to talk about tonight." But I said to Eliza, "I said I'm just going to be a fly on the wall because you just can't relate to it. Like you just you almost out." Of, I don't know, maybe it's out of fear out of, of ever going down that road, but it's easier just to shut it out and say, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to ever let that in. Yes, that's right. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Like, you, yeah. I'd rather not yeah. talk about it because that's not me and it's not going to happen to me, so uh, I don't want, to, don't want to talk about that. So um, that, that's sort of where I am. That's where it's sort of like um, yeah. it's a real hard thing to talk about because – I don't want to acknowledge its existence, if that makes sense. Yep, I, I get that, um, but I also like I look at it completely different now. So I, oh, I look at I, it. hundred percent. Oh, uh, no, yeah. I, I, I almost look at it like a, a broken leg. So let's say, or a leg injury. Take yeah. that for example. So you could just get hit on the leg, and it might be bruising, yeah. and that might heal up, or you might get a really big hit, and you might break a bone. Or you might get your leg crushed, you know, and that's the same with mental health. It could be just a bruise yeah. and it might be just a couple of days and you're right, or it might be a broken leg and it's a month out, or it might be you crush your leg and, you know, um, yeah. you might be out for a year sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but also in the same token, you might break your leg and go, ah, oh, don't want to show any weakness. So I've got to go to work on Monday, so I'm not going to go see a doctor yeah. and not actually get it seen and not get it healed up. And, yeah. that, and the, the bone might heal itself, but it's healed itself wrong, and then yeah. you might break it again and again and again, and to a point where eventually you can't walk at all, mm. sort of thing. Where you might, you know, you might get to a point where you have to have your leg cut off, sort of thing. Yeah, you know. So it's the same sort of thing with mental health. It's um, yeah, it's not something you want to go address. You know, you, you just it's better not to have it, isn't it? But yeah. you know, if you if you do get it, it's better to nip it in the butt earlier on than it is later on. Hundred sort percent. Of yeah. You, yeah. you, your that that doco is definitely put it all in a completely different light for me. Like yeah. And the way that you explain it, you know. So, yeah. 
and, and, and like again, um, it doesn't. You don't have to watch you make burst into a ball of flames to go through what I went through. You know, like what uh, a friend of mine. She said her. She. Well, I've got a lot of messages. So like, her dad was in a farmer, a dairy farmer, and was crushed at work. And he got. He's. It's been six years, and he's going through the same stuff I've. I've gone through. Sort yeah. of thing. You know, um, it can be any sort of trauma. You know, it can be losing your wife. It could be um, a car crash, or it could be a, a marriage sort of thing. You know, like it's a whole heap of array of things that can cause. You know, and 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 that's just my type. Of, there's heaps of different mental health problems. You know, it's really hard to say, put it all under one bag. It's such a broad sort of statement. Mm. Mental health. It's it's a whole array of things. Mm. So I I can only really talk specifically around the stuff I've experienced. Whereas, um, yeah. And that's yeah. why I always go, whenever, whenever I do have people come to me, it's like, you know, go get the right help. Don't, don't, you know, it'd be, um, I was talking to, yeah, again, uh, more randos coming up and asking you stuff, talking to someone today. And I was, a bit like someone coming up to me and asking for help. It's the same way as, if, oh, Hoodie, you've broken your leg and you've got it fixed. I'll, I'll ask you to help me fix my leg, sort of thing, you know? Mm. It's not how it works. Like, go see a doctor. <laughs> But they'll put, they'll, put, they'll put your leg in a cast. Don't ask me, sort of thing, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, but I get it. People, you know, relate to it, and so they come to you first, sort of thing, because, yeah, yeah. I understand. That's yeah. cool. So, so what were the first signs that you had that you were not coping as you thought? <laughs> Crying un- uncontrollably, broke down. Like, again, I didn't see it. I knew I, like, I knew I needed to stop flying. Um, I knew I had to do something different. And because, and again, hindsight's a great thing. So I wasn't recognizing it. My anger and my sleeplessness and all of that was because of it. It was just something I was going through. And it wasn't until I flew over that airstrip. And at that point, I broke. And that's when I knew something was wrong, sort of thing. Um, looking back, uh, it's like, well, yeah, definitely not sleeping's a big one. Um, for hallucinating, I knew the hallucinations were bad. Um, what were you hallucinating? Again, I'd see power lines, and like so I'd be flying, flying, I'd be flying along, and all of a sudden a power line would come up into the windscreen. I'd be like, "Fuck!" And um, and, and the other one would see plane planes crashing. Um, yeah, but it, like it was, the real weird thing is, my body reacted as if it was real. So you get a big shot of adrenaline, and like yeah, and then. After the bird strike, every time uh, when I stop dressing, every time I have a bump from the turbulence, yeah. I'd get a shot of adrenaline, you know? And so yeah. I'd be completely fucked after a day's flying just because you just on edge the whole time. Yes, and fight um, or flight all the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. 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 So the day I had the breakdown, flying out, good as gold. I, ha- I think I had like 60 ton of urea to do in the bin. And I go out there, do pick up the first load, first load, and just all of a sudden my brain keeps saying or something in my mind keeps saying the engine's going to stop the engine's going to stop looking at the gauges and saying that the gauges is all sweet it's like no just this overwhelming feeling of the engine's going to stop and it's like the engine sounds you know like you know how it sounds you know it sounds good the instrument's read good there's no logical reason for me to be thinking that engine's going to stop that's all i could think about so in side that load landed came back picked up next load flying out i'm doing turns and i'm like Fuck you, going to st- and I keep pushing. I keep recovering from a stolen return, which wasn't happening. But I had this overwhelming feeling that you're about to crash and die today, and um, and it wasn't until 
I came back and I was like, I've got to get out of this fucking plane. And that's when I flew over the airstrip. Didn't worry about landing. Instead of going to get uh, wire where I was based, I went straight back to Gizzy, you know, where our headquarters was. And I was like, yeah. And then that's when the panic attack sort of kicked in. Uh, hyperventilating, um, crying. The guilt of killing George and Robbie really overwhelmed me at that stage. Um, it, it was a guilt that I shouldn't have, but it was one I, I carried with me, um, probably because I didn't really talk about it enough to someone logically. You know, like when you're talking to your mates, everyone's like, yeah, no, da, da. But when I was talking to a psychologist, we actually logically went through that day and that crash and how I can't own it, you know, own that guilt sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and like I still own a part of it. Like I still had a plate, you know, I was still there. I had the opportunity to say something. But when you actually break it down and think about, like, this is what we talked with the psychologist was like, you know, she's like, hey, you're flying and how low are you? About 100 feet. And, you know, why are you thinking about it? And you're fully loaded and crossing a ridge line. Something unexpected happens, which is George. And normally, like, if you had two planes flying on the same airstrip, you'd actually land and have a briefing going, right, you know, you do this block, I do this block. This is wires over here. There's a big fucking dead tree on the hill. Watch out for that. Whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. But when something unexpected happens, you're still concentrating. I'm still concentrating on saying, you know, not not getting referred on the neighbours. I've seen a boundary run. I'm think, I was actually thinking, I've only got three loads in the bin. Then I'm moving down to the next job. I wasn't thinking about the wires that you can't see. I wasn't thinking about um, briefing George. And, mm. Yeah, so, but I blame myself for not doing it for so long. Um, but we can only, I think, was that the human brain can only do three things at, a, at any one time, mm. sort of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah so, yeah, wow. didn't, didn't have see gone it coming completely it other way as well. Like, if you had pushed something out of your brain, Maybe that thing that you pushed out of your brain was the fact that the wires were there for yourself. And yeah, it could that's have been, right. And it could have been you that went straight through the wires, you know, if, yeah, you'd, yeah. if you'd shift it to thinking about poor old George, you know, like, so, yeah. 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 Exactly. So that's a really long answer to I didn't see any symptoms coming myself until post-breakdown looking back. And looking back, it was a getting angry at the wife. Um uh, not sleeping, and the other big one was just um, just face the genuine shocks, you know, like just being really nervous in the plane. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So, how did the culture within the aviation industry impact your willingness to seek help with your? Yeah, struggles? well, I think I had the big fear of losing my medical. But he's um, laughing at the like, clever question I that I'm asking. <laughs> did, you get these off, did you get these off the AI thing as well? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but good question, though. Yeah, yeah. Oh. No, I'm not taking the question thing away. They're good, they're good questions. It's just it's like you can see, you can see his eyes darting off <laughs> and he's like really struggling. Reading it. Oh, you need to wear your glasses, mate. The words are no, too big and long for me. I mean, it's just too big of words in there for him, I think. I was like, oh, he didn't write these himself. Okay. okay. You come up with some bloody questions, Hoodie. Yay. I reckon, eh? 
Fuck. Who invited him to the party? <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Do it again. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, obviously, I didn't want to go get help. Because... Oh, I didn't hear the question. I started laughing. So... Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> it's about the culture. Culture and aviation and how it's, how is it helpful to, to mental health. Oh, yeah. sorry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so like I I I I had a medical um probably two or three months before my breakdown and completely lied to my medical examiner and I apologized to her later on. Like I felt really bad post breakdown. What were the questions? Oh uh, like how's it like she she just asked these general questions, how's it all going? How are you sleeping? You know, how are you coping, sort of thing. Like how's it flying again? She was aware of the accident. Um and I was like, yeah, no, like like I was with you, Hoodie, you know, like, good, but, it's all good. But were you also thinking that you were fine? So were you kind of in your mind no, telling I, the... No, like I, like I said before, I knew I had to get out of flying. Like, I knew I had to change. Like, I'd already, like, to, out of top dressing. I had to change. Like, I'd already applied for a job at Air New Zealand. Uh, how, how far how far post-accident is this? Three months, did you say? No, no, this is this is a year year now. Yeah. A year. Yeah. So like post accident, I, I went from being bad to being okay and then it was once those accidents or other things happened and the work pressure things started going downhill again. So it, it wasn't like I was bad the whole time. It was a bit of a wave, you know? Like mm. it was the initial three months of bad and then it sort of came right. Um and then went bad again. But yeah, um, that would have made it even harder to see. Oh, you think, you know? Oh, get get your three months sleep. I'm coming right. It would yeah. have been real. That made it even harder to recognise. You know, slipping back into it. big time. Yeah, because like, mm. I came right. I'd been right for a bit. You know, um, things were looking good, and then started going downhill again. Um, so that you know, because it was 18 months after the accident, and I'd already gone through the period that I thought was bad. I didn't think it was going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely didn't want to lose my medical. Didn't want, I always had it in my mind that, um, you know, mental health and aviation medicals don't go hand in hand. That's not something that, um, yeah. I've, and I've spoken to a lot of people in the past, you know, like, oh yeah, don't, don't own up to having mental health problems, you know? Um, yeah. And, and then, like, um, no one talks about these things. Like, after this talk, talking, I've talking to so many old boys about it now who have, like, gone through same stuff, you know? And they've just kept it under wraps, um, kept it hidden, mm. you know? Um, which was just the thing to do back then, or it is now even, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, that would even be probably a third of the messages that I was getting for you, Pedro, thanking you and, and all that was also they had their own story that they'd tell of something they went through and it obviously stirred it up with them to yeah. to bring it up. So that was, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I actually, <coughs> I liked it a bit from getting it from the old guys because it wasn't, it, it sort of, meant I wasn't alone. Like I, a lot of a lot of the older guys, you know, been top dressing in the seventies and eighties and that had gone through same stuff. Um 
which you know so it's not like it's a new problem it's not some modern age millennial sort of you know hard and fuck up sort of stuff it's uh no it's sort of because you know like i had one guy one uh ag operator said he spent the last 10 years basically hiding um through drinking you know like he'd just drink his problems away and like lost a family sort of thing and mm. um lost the business whereas um yeah yeah, anyway. Yeah. Uh, do I need to dumb the question down for you, Hoodie? <laughs> <laughs> Can you describe your journey to recovery? What were the critical steps or support systems that helped you? Yeah, I think the biggest one was actually seeing a counsellor regularly for like probably six months every week. Um, and just working through it logically. So, like, after the accident, I had four free counselling sessions that anyone who goes through a workplace accident gets sort of thing. And I was like, yeah, this helps, and then just stopped. And then I actually had one of the farmers, one of my cockies who I used to talk to for, he said, oh, biggest mistake we did with my old man, because this old man needed counselling, um, was stopping it. Um, so the best thing you can do is just keep at it until you a well out of the water sort of thing. Um, so working through with the counsellor, uh, keeping a routine, biking or exercising, eating, staying the fuck away from alcohol. Like um, I'd, I'd have a couple of beers and I'd feel fucking primo, like feel really good. But then the next morning, about 2 or 3 a.m., I'd wake up and you wouldn't be able to sleep and you'd just be in a big low sort of thing. Yeah, so key things are, yeah, healthy living no alcohol um tried to get regular sleeping so like the first part of my whole plan to recovery was actually getting the sleeping under control getting back to because without sleep we're all fucked like up how did you do sleep that messes everyone up. Hard. uh the first way hoodie or the second way sleep um yeah yeah wow. the best way <laughs> the one that the works. best the, the, the legal way um <laughs> uh, sleeping medicine. So the doctor, I think he gave me five sleeping pills. Yeah. He said, I'm not going to give you any more than five. Is in five use. varieties or five? No, five pills. He said, they're quite addictive. They're not good for you long term. I'm only going to give you five. Yeah. And like, but it's just to get you sleeping. But the, tra- you. Key, the key to getting sleeping is actually working through the problem but stopping you sleeping. Yeah. So again, it comes to talking out, like actually working through what's keeping you awake and then also like little sleeping techniques like um counting my breaths um having a hot shower just before hopping into bed no screen time all of that stuff but the main one is actually working through what's keeping me awake what's keeping me worried at night sort of thing and talking it's amazing what talking does like it's a difference between thinking about something in your mind and saying it out loud to someone it's um two different things yeah what role did your family play in the recovery process (laughs) initially quite a negative role um just because like i said like you know i'd be real down in the dumps for a couple of days and hoodie phoned me and i'd come right and like it was hard like first me being down the dumps is hard for heaven the kids um but have couldn't understand it wasn't her she thought it was her 
about us angry at her, about us causing her, like, she was causing me to be this way, and it wasn't her. But it's just because I didn't talk. Didn't tell, I just say, nothing's wrong. You know, nothing's wrong. I'm fine. You know? But once once I um, opened up to her and told her what was going on, that became a really important part of, the, you know, that recovery. So, like, uh, like if I have a bad day, I'd be like, oh, I'm having a bad day sort of thing. And she just knew, you know, like, cool. You know, and it sort of took 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 a bit of a pressure away, and then like again, spent actually engaging with. It's really hard, like when you're in that shit situation, you you want to engage and you want to be there with your kids, but you've just got, you're just you're not there. You're lost. Like you're really not in that space, and so, you yeah. Um, what I was trying to say, yeah using my kids as a motivator to get me going is great. But when you're in that hole, it, it's really hard for it to actually happen. And then it actually made me feel shit because I should be happy and I'm not um, with my kids. I'm hanging out. I'm at the beach. I'm with the kids. I should be happy, but I'm feeling really fucking low. And that drove me into feeling lower, you know? So it had that real opposite effect. But again, once I started working through the process, um, especially refocusing my effort onto them did help yeah and then like this is the, the real firing barrier of things that stopped me from taking my life you know like it'd be there moments where i was like i can't can't let my kids wake up to me being dead basically and that was the only thing that would stop me from ending it um yeah so <laughs> pretty mm. like pretty hard stuff but yeah but yeah so kids family important part but they've got to be involved and know what's going on yeah and you have to you have to be in a state where you can actually involve him yeah yeah Yeah, no that's heavy stuff pedro i was bloody uh, very hard to watch that on the show because just like i said i have no 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 idea yeah yeah no idea that that it was that that those thoughts were even bouncing around Face thoughts would come when you couldn't sleep, you're stuck at night on your own, and yeah, just shit plays through your mind to the point where it's like, nah, I'm, I'm ending it, it's so, game over. So someone in that exact situation, what would you recommend for them to do when they're at that exact point? Holding, well, I guess just holding on to something, like I held on to the kids, you know, like, can't fuck my kids up, yeah. knowing it's not, it's not about you. Because like re, like the stuff that go through my mind is, um, I'm a burden on my family. You know, I'm just a waste of fucking space. I'm putting through my family through all the shit. Mm. And the thing that stopped me was, um, going well. If I take my life, I'm going to put them through even more shit. You know, so that that was the, the deal breaker mm. sort of thing. Um, yeah. So find something to hold on to. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. That's a good one. Yeah, that is. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's not all about you, you know. Like you get into this internal, I'm fucking everyone else's life's up, so I'll take my life, sort of thing. Mm. That's for me. I don't know what other people go through, you know. Mm. But for me, it was it, and it was like, oh well, I'm actually going to fuck more people up. Yeah. So it's all about me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right. So the 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 flying side of it, and you getting back into the flying after you lost your medical and started back up what uh 
what were those techniques that <laughs> what were the techniques that helped you get over your fear of flying? Yeah, so what like, was the I whole guess... process? I, I actually had a few messages asking wanting to know a bit more about the Yeah. The, the so flying. like I lost I lost the mental of like I phoned up the CA said you know, what's happened. And that's just some office lady who answers the phone, um, admin person. <clears throat> and a couple of days later, I get email, official email saying your medical's been suspended. Um, if you want to talk to someone, phone this number. And it was the doctor at the CAA. And I had a good talk to him. And I, I said, like, what do I do? Like, I, at the moment, I don't want to get that flying, but I don't want this to be where I stop flying. So what do I have to do to get my medical back? And he goes, well, when you feel ready, um, give us a call. And we'll go through that. And so that sort of gave me enough hope that he didn't say, no, you're not ever flying again. It was like, when you feel ready to go flying, give us a call. So I was like, sweet. And so he also put me on to um, PAM, Pilots Assistant Network, which is part of the Airline Pilots Association. And they have an aviation special psychologist. So I got in contact with him and we just sort of worked through. Um, first off, he talked to me a fair bit about other people who like a lot of other pilots, you know, um, airline pilots, uh, air hostess, who are all shit scared of going to a point where they're afraid of flying sort of thing. And so we just worked on that. So, um, again, understanding the logic between your flight or flight mode and like the front of front part of your brain is you learn, you know, what you learn over time and the back part's your primitive part that, you know, keeps you alive. And it was a, like the day I had breakdown that was a battle between the what i know had looked been taught to the survival part you know the survival part saying you're going to die today because that's it was off i was on an airstrip where george had crashed you know mm. but the logical parts like well, there's nothing saying that the engine's going to stop so it was that battle but with the fatigue and with the stress and that finally the uh, fight or flight mode took over, you know, mm. causing the panic attack to get me out of the ground on the plane. So understanding how that happened was the biggest key to it. Um, and so after, I think it must have been a couple of months, I felt like I need to, I need to go for a fly. And so phoned the CAA up and uh, I couldn't get my medical back, but I could get my recreational pilot's license medical. Well, um, was it D9 or LD9? Mm. So it, Went down to, and I was like, I was, yeah, that's the one. So I was like, if I get this back, can I fly recreationally? I'm like, yep. And I was like, sweet. So I went down to the doctor in Wara, who just so happened to be an ex-US Air Force doctor who specialised in PTSD. <laughs> so he was great. Like, what's the fucking odds in Wara? Of <laughs> <laughs> all places. But, yeah. But to be fair, a lot of foreigners go to Wara because it's a good place to get posted uh, for experience. Yeah, easy to get a doctor's job there. They always need him. Anyway, he gave me medical back. Got like not my full medical, but my truck medical. And mate of mine just got the Fletcher, the three hundred. He was happy to let me fly the plane, so just took off and took off. And I thought I'll just see how I go. Take off, and I can always come back and land. And after about maybe five or ten minutes, that was me enough. Like doing a couple of turns, I'm like, nah, I'm not not comfortable. I'm not happy here. I've got to get on the ground. So I landed. And again, working with the psychologist, we were like, well, let's do something slightly different, you know, that's not top dressing and somewhere safe. So like flying with an instructor. So I went up to the flying school in Gisborne and got an instructor. 
and I thought, oh, I'll renew my instrument rating. I applied for a New Zealand job. Let's, I'd go get my instrument rating if I, you know, do get my medical back. So I started doing instrument flying training. I'd already done my actual rating. It was just reading current. And so I probably spent, so every week I'd go up to Gizzy. Thursday I'd do psychologist and Friday I'd go for a fly, basically. And that, and that would have me fucked for the rest of the weekend. Like it'd take me two or three days to come right. But I, I was flying with someone, knew I was safe because they were there. And it was just slowly but surely building up my confidence to fly again to the point where I was happy to fly on my own. Mm. Um, yeah, and that was it, just slowly working through the logic. Like I knew things too, like when I did start to get stressed in the plane, like, but like, oh, fuck, I'm not happy with this. I'd push my heels into the um, heels into the floor and I'd count four objects and listen to the sound. So I'd be like, uh, window, uh, seat belt, air and uh, airspeed indicator, and what it does is it takes my mind. It takes it stops my mind thinking about the engine stopping and thinking about those four objects. You know, it's it's sort of bringing yourself into the now. Mm. It's um, what was that called? It's uh, a form of focusing or a form of being present. Yeah. So I mm. use like, techniques to bring myself being present yeah, yeah and being basically yeah yeah and just re teaching myself not to overthink things yeah did um when you when you said you you were feeling anxious or didn't want to fly what what was it about it like you did you oh, feel like you're gonna crash again yeah in the turn i was like fuck in the turn and I've, i think the thing that went through my mind was um elevator coming off yeah. yeah, just fucking the brain's in overdrive, you know. But again, it's the brain had had like you gotta appreciate. I saw a plane burst into flames, sort of thing. So oh, yeah. that yeah. that part of that brain, the part of the the primitive part of the brain, starts thinking that, you know, mm. like um, yeah. Um, but it was, it was <coughs> had to just reteach myself logically, but that, that doesn't happen. You know, mm. it's not a normal thing. So was it a, a time um, thing, like just over time, t- repetition t- and doing it? Time and exposure, yeah. Mm. Yep. But I had to be careful not to expose myself, like because like with PTSD, it's uh, you can be triggered. So, But the only way to know what triggers you is by being triggered. So like definitely flying down near the crash site triggered me. Like to start with, um, going into farmers here would trigger me, but I got to a point where I could actually go into farmers here and not be triggered. Going into the XL, the smell would trigger, but it got got. But it's just exposure, you know, just time and exposure, you know. Like it's like training, you know. Like you can't go run a marathon straight away, but if you go do little runs and build your strength up, eventually you can run a marathon. So it was the same thing. It was just time and exposure, small doses, and progressively getting longer. That's crazy, Pedro. Like, do you think how many yeah. things you can apply that to in life? Is, yeah, yeah, um, that's right. That's probably hence why you've done all the crazy fucking exercise. God's sake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you like, I, I really did everything I do now. I just apply with logic I've learned from this experience and apply it to everything else. And you know, like being present. You know, getting myself present and being just, you know, being able to train myself to do whatever. It, it is uh, I need to train myself to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 
<sighs> Next question. Also, Hori, um, we can hear you farting in the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was him farting. That's not me. <laughs> yeah. Earlier. That's not me. Yes, it is. Oh, do you? You don't, you don't lift yourself up and lean slightly sideways and hear a funny sound. Ah. If, anyone, if, you can, if you rewind it and see me lean any which way, I'll give you a hundred bucks. There's no leaning. I could see in your eyes. Yeah, you I know. It's like a twitch. <laughs> nah. I, yeah. Did you see me crack a little giggle even a little bit? But no one <laughs> led on to it. So I was like, nah. The other two of us are quite professional. Yeah. You know, we just <laughs> kept on flowing. Well, it's just the way I, I'm sitting, you see, so it's just that the mic's right there. Sponsor yeah, us some new microphones to... and we'll forgive you. Because i got the unicorn blanket. <laughs> if you got a red wine and a beer going at the same time? Well, I'll finish the beer. And back on Veredi. Yeah, I'm ready, yeah. Crikey. What a max. Fuck. It's freaking that... cold in this room, I'll tell you. Cold oh, here too. Uh, yeah, is it? Oh, cool down at night, of course. Nah, not really. What what <laughs> what good question have you got now? How how has this experience shaped your current role? It says as a pilot and a CAA person, but of course that's not your current role. Yeah, safety manager. I guess. Um, the way it's shaped my role now is I'm not afraid to speak up and say shit, you know, like um, if I see something um, that I think is not right, I'll say it, even if I think I might be, even if there's a chance of being wrong, you know, and also change the way I think, you know, rather than thinking here is a possibility of something happening, is like we all think, oh, it won't happen to us, but it's like, no, it will fucking happen to you, you know, um, so do something about it. I guess that's my new philosophy. Yeah. Mm, probably work yeah. well for all of us. Yeah. A few of these you've actually answered already, so we'll skip Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, you remind me of me when I was at the CAA. I'd have a big list of questions and <laughs> I'd have to dumb it down for the person. And everything you're like, no, nah, I've answered this one, you've answered this one. Right. Last question. What's the next one? Next yeah. one. Uh, hmm. In your opinion, how can the aviation industry better support the mental health of its workers? Uh, I think it needs to be a bit more outwards information from the civil aviation to actually let people know that, hey, if you do come to us, we're not going to take your medical off you forever sort of thing, um, Like especially if you're being proactive. Uh, I see a, like... Um, is being a big shift. So, like, um, at my work, Kiwi, we put a big, big lot of um, time into making sure our pilots' well-being is important because they're overseas, they're isolated, you know, so actually making sure that they uh, feel comfortable to tell us if they're not, you know, if they're feeling homesick or they're feeling cut off or whatever it may be and trying to prevent it. So I think um, the aviation industry should just, you know, like... If, a good way for it is just being a bit more open about it, um, being accepting of it, and yeah, and I guess again, taking it stigma away from it, you know, like you aren't weak if you've had a under a bit of pressure, you know, and you're not doing well. It's not a 
it's not a sign of weakness and it's not a sign of you know um yeah it's just life isn't it but again i think a lot it needs to be a lot coming from uh leadership and say the civil aviation industry mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's not a lot. sorry jimbo yeah there's not a lot of uh information as far as like a a road to recovery on that sort of thing which kind of i can see how that stigma is there that's more the the territory of the unknown that isn't can... it yeah yeah but you you're better off to go with what you know mm. and push through than you are to go into the unknown world you know mm. like um like again i think i might have mentioned it at um the super ed talk you know like the day i lost some medical i lost my identity with it like, it was such a big effect that had on me. And, like, I'd never, ever want to go through that feeling again, mm. sort of thing. Um, but, I, like, I've, 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 like, since from that magazine article, the FET article, I've had heaps, well, not heaps, but I've had a few pilots come and phone me up, and a couple of them have gone to their uh, examiner and handed in their medical voluntarily because um, they got to that point, you know, where they recognize fuck this is going bad and but they've got their medicals back and it's only been a few months sort of thing they've mm. through the process and gone it back but they probably wouldn't have done that had they not had me you know um yeah that, talk, that's good it, it's also in some ways disappointing that those stories haven't got out so like like your own story the more people know about it and and in particular their road to recovery or getting back to it yeah it's important it is but i get it too because like it's not just getting your medical back it's getting a, a job so if if you're wanting to get your a job at an airline and they ask you have you ever lost your medical and you go yeah because of mental health reasons how are they going to judge you you know like you'd hope yeah. fairly but not everyone does you know like people we all know people who would be like, no, nah, I don't want that guy working for me. He's, you know, uh, unreliable. He'll have another breakdown sort of thing, which isn't the case, you know? Um, but, yeah, well, therein lies the challenge. I mean, the reality probably is you're more, having gone through it and come out the other side, you're probably more resilient than someone who's potentially already working there and, and experiencing the same things but keeping it to themselves. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I certainly see myself as being stronger, but I wouldn't necessarily expect everyone else to think that, you know, just because I know how people think, you know, that old school mentality. Mm. Yeah. You think that it is a real opportunity for CAA to promote, uh, how do you say that, you know, saying you know, to make people more comfortable to come in and hand in their medicals, especially if that's the easy way for them to stop having to work. Yeah, and and handing your medical in is way, way, way easier to get it back than it is to lose yeah. it. You uh, know, like, uh, yeah. I, if, I lost it, so I had to fight a lot harder than, say, had I gone in and said, look, I need to stop flying. I'm not in a good way. I would have gone it back a lot sooner. Yeah, right. Well, that, that's probably something that needs to be um, let known a lot more to people so that yeah. they don't get to that point that you got to, that they can go out and say, you know, 
Andy Medical and say, oh, I, I can't fly. I, I, I actually can't fly. I haven't got a medical, you know, because, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know what happened in your I know situation. what you say. Because, like, um, on that day, I lost, uh, like, I had to lose my medical to keep me alive. Mm. Like, ha- had I not done that, and that was a pretty horrific day. Like, you could talk for a lot about that day, but it was talking me just taking a couple of days off and coming back to work. You know, like that, that was the plan. I just have a couple people have a couple of days off and come back to work and someone else intervened and actually bought me a ticket and sent me to Chicago so I couldn't come back to work mm. um, because they saw that, fuck, Pete's not in a good way, you know? Yeah. They recognised it. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Anyway. Well, that's bloody good, Pedro. Yeah, it is. So the old... Um, the old saying, prevention is the the best protection, and and what have you. What's what can we all do to mentally prepare ourselves so we're we're not going to find ourselves in the same situation, or if we are, we're going to be the best version of us to tackle it. Yeah, like I think talking's a big key. Eh? Like just actually saying, hey, like you know, like Jimbo, fuck man, I'm having a lot of hard times at the moment. And, you know, like a problem shared is a problem halved, isn't it? You know, like not mm. holding that shit in, mm. letting it out sooner than later. Um, good exercise, you know, exercise is always key. Um, being mentally stimulated um, and, and sleeping. Sleeping is key. If you're not sleeping, and like, again, alarm bells from day one. Day, about two days after the accident, uh, ran into a guy who, um, and he's like, if you stop sleeping, you need to go see a psychologist straight away. Should have listened to him, but um, didn't. Uh, but yeah, um, sleeping. Look after your sleep. Uh, so what do you, what do you say to someone who's who's been told this, like your former self? Someone's told you what to look out for, and you know it, but you're knowingly not doing it. it. You're so like so I, I had Bruce Peterson say to me the day of accident, don't worry about getting back on the horse straight away. Like that was a big you know, I should have listened to him then and there, but I was so afraid of not being able to get back on the horse. So I went straight back onto her and I mm. held on for dear life. But Bruce he had said to me, you know, don't don't be in a rush to get back onto it. It's okay to take your time. And then I think it was two days after that I had he was a so we were driving up to Gizzy. Um, and it was me and my wife, and we stopped at New Harker to use the toilets. And going the opposite direction was my wife's boss, Adam, and in the car was a psychologist. We were going to court in Napier, and uh, and he was the one who said to me, "If you stop sleeping, you need to go see a psychologist straight away." And so, like, just didn't, you know? But you you get the blinkers on, you know? Like mm-hmm. you got. I've got to go to work tomorrow. I've got, to get, you know, I've got fucking 200 ton in the bin here and the weather's good and, you know. Was so there you, anything that yourself now could have said to yourself back then that would have forced you to listen or, or changed your something just to see it a little bit better? I think the thing I would tell my old self is uh, don't fuck around with your mental health. Like, you may feel like it, you're strong enough that it won't affect you, but it can affect anyone and take it serious, you know, like don't, don't just think you can push on. Like, um, but the, and like, again, I can't 
make a big enough point that post breakdown was way more horrific than post crash. Like the breakdown had a way bigger effect on me mentally than the crash had. Mm. Like it took, I went downhill way down after the the actual breakdown. You know, mm. after that initial panic attack. So like, um, you really are playing with your life at that point. So yeah, take it seriously and like gain you don't have to be out of the air for that long to get back on track. Mm. Whereas if you, yeah. I can, but you, yeah, you, you say all this stuff, and but I can just see exactly how you did it. You know, like everything that you're dealing with is stuff that you just talk about every day, you know, while we got for yeah. everyone's yeah. buddy, all, all the pressures that you're talking about is just stuff you've dealt with every day anyway. So you would have just been like, I've dealt with this shit before. Yeah. I just have to keep going. It's, it's the industry. Um, um, not bagging the industry. It's just what it is. Like we all signed up for that industry. Yeah. And, um, and those are the pressures that come with it. But yeah, I can just see how you would have just thought, I just, I've got to keep going. And if I yeah, don't, right. I don't fit into this industry because that's what it's sort of all tarred with a wee bit. You know, if you can't hack it, you fucking you, you shift along sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah, out sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So I, you can see exactly how it happened. Um, yeah, horrific. Yeah. yeah. So there's, I don't know, does, is it like what's happening now, getting more information out there? If, if someone else was telling their story straight after and you watched that, that might have had a different impact. And saying That's now right, there might yeah. be someone else... Well, there there has been, as we've all said, people that have watched the show and they've they've gone in and said something, put their hand up, gone and spoken to me. I've even had um, mates on Facebook post after that thing saying, "If you if you need a talk, I'm here with a beer, blah blah, all that stuff." But yeah, 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 yeah. Like one of the things that surprised me the most was how many people I know have gone through same sort of stuff different reasons but the same stuff you know like the amount of people i know who have stopped flying because of mental health reasons and come back later or have stopped completely sort of blew my mind away mm. yeah yeah um but yeah um i think you know we're getting the ball rolling aren't we yeah it's it's you yeah, are mate change it's, doesn't happen straight away the no. um things like this help definitely oh. Huge, yeah. Jimbo, we can only hear heavy breathing. We can't see you. Oh, is that right? <laughs> it's all right. The actual recording is going. You must off be a just separate had enough. <laughs> can, can you still hear me now? <laughs> nah, good shit, Pedro. It's uh, yeah. Like I said, I never sort of, like I said, acknowledged it at all or anything, but. But that was a bloody good, um, bloody good video, and um, yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I guess I'm just lucky I had the opportunity to do it. Bloody hell! Well, yeah. Look how many people it's benefiting already. Just bloody, yeah, bloody cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely bloody hell! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you never know. I might, 
I might end up on uh, Dancing with the Stars or something. Might oh. be New Zealand's next speed lister celebrity. No matter what, yeah, the old Heather will be sitting there in the front row ready to knock some Sheila out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was bloody good. Yeah. I, I appreciate that, yeah. Pedro. That's been bloody magic, mate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, cheers for it. Like, um, yeah. Good we follow up podcast, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I learned yeah. some stuff, Pedro. Yeah. And I'll uh I'll throw in the stuff that was on your article, I'll add it to this, which is the peer assistance network. The the access to those. I think it, it must only be a New Zealand thing, is it? And same with the women's assistance forum. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 Which is all handy stuff. But yeah. Kudos to you, Pedro. You've literally saved people's lives. You're a top man. Love your work. Uh, yeah. Cheer. Mm. On on that note, shall we uh <laughs> shall we call it a night? Yeah. You 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 look like you need a bit of sleep. <laughs> I'm gonna have myself a big snooze tonight. I've gone and done my neck in. I need to go Oh, have you? I've had a couple of chiropractor sessions. I need to get, get it all fixed. <laughs> what happened? Oh, I went and uh, someone was having a, a bit of trouble undoing a screw off those big thousand litre tote tanks. And I told told them to step aside, you peasants, while a big bulky <laughs> Kiwi sorts you out. <laughs> went to do it and it was a bit tight and then tried harder and... <laughs> You're not 28 anymore. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> did you, did you say it at the time or did you just sort of pretend that it hadn't happened? And just... <laughs> I just uh, said, oh, actually, we'll, we'll find something else to do. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even get it open. No. <laughs> <laughs> took, took us another 10 minutes to find a bar to open her up, but we got there in the end. It was an expensive uh, ordeal, but <laughs> I'm going to sleep Classic. well tonight anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bloody right, good. Mate. Good to see you, gentlemen, and everybody good to see else. You all have a good one. Hey, yeah, you too. Hey. See you all. Done.